Excellent. Good morning, everybody, and good morning to everyone about the country and about the world who's been watching us for some time now. We love you very much. Thank you for joining us. We encourage you to continue to do so. We think about you. We pray about you. For those of you who let us see your faces and your names and make comments, thank you very much. We appreciate you. We love you uh, the world over and hope that our humble efforts in teaching God's Word helps you. So we, we definitely love you and are thanking about you and very much appreciate you joining us. And also you folks from the six or seven states around America, we love you too. Thank you. Um, we're reaching the end of our global prayer guide according to Voice of the Martyrs. Today we are in the old, well, a nation that was under the, the old uh, Soviet Union rule, Uzbekistan. Uzbekistan, things are changing there. Uzbekistan is considered a restricted country by Voice of the Martyrs. Uzbekistan, there is some good news and some difficult things happening there. Uzbekistan's new president, that is at, at the time that this was printed, seems to be leading the country into a time of greater religious freedom. That is good. Restrictions on churches and Christian organizations have ceased. However, some old habits are dying hard. It is still illegal to distribute evangelistic literature in public. There are several Christian denominations in Uzbekistan, and denominational leaders report that there is a growing unity amongst Christian churches there. Leaders are focusing on equipping and training a new generation of Christian leaders to serve the church. Very, very important. Most Uzbeks in this former Soviet Republic are Sunni Muslims. The government does find Christian cons converts from Islam, and families often reject family members who become Christians. When someone becomes a Christian, persecution begins immediately. Christians are thought of as extremists. Isn't that interesting? Christians are considered extremists here in the United States of America these days. Isn't that interesting how Marxists always label us as extremists, wherever they may be? They face massive fines and detention for illegal religious gatherings. Illegal religious gatherings. Why, we have those in Canada and the United States as well now, don't we? By the way, please pray for Pastor Coates in Alberta and his church. Most evangelical Christians meet in unregistered groups. Uzbekistan once routinely imprisoned Christians, but the government now favors short detentions but substantial fines for economic reasons. Bibles are difficult to obtain. Some Christians don't even, here's the sad part, some Christians don't even want a copy because of the risk involved in owning one. Even those discovered with a digital Bible on their smartphone are immediately arrested and interrogated. Voice of the Martyrs distributes Christian literature and provides pastors and evangelists with transportation for use in ministry work. So they're at a very awkward time of change in this country. Please pray for these folks. The old habits of persecution will go away and that their leadership will pursue more of a um, direction of religious freedom for, for those folks there. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, thank you very much for our brothers and sisters worldwide and some large numbers who have been joining us on Sunday mornings, some even on Tuesday nights for our Bible study. We pray 
that you will help us to faithfully teach your word and that your word will continue to go out here and abroad to open hearts and open minds to receive the truth of your word and to bring people into your kingdom and to strengthen Christian believers to defend your kingdom in a very dark world. Oh, how relevant is Paul's passage in Ephesians concerning spiritual warfare these days. Always has been. Thank you for the truth expressed by our blessed brother Paul. Help us and those of the world over to translate these words into action in all of our lives. And we thank you for those who are laboring under persecution who watch and listen. We pray that our humble efforts are of great help and assistance to them in particular. Uh, we pray for those upon our prayer request list who have been mentioned earlier. Reveal yourself to each and every one of us in all of our trials, situations, and circumstances. We pray that you will ease the pains and heartaches of those who watch and listen, all of our brothers and sisters here in this community, around the country, the world at large. But we know that through each and every one of these situations, we are to seek you, we are to stand for you, we are to fight for your truth, spread your truth. That's what this is all about. Help us to always watch for you and listen for you. Each need, each concern that's been expressed this morning, may your perfect will be done. Have mercy on us in our prayers and our concerns, O sovereign God. Have mercy on this nation, which seems to be staring its own destruction in the face. But we are ultimately citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Nations rise, nations fall, according to your perfect plan and sovereign divine will. Help us to always remember and stand on our ultimate loyalty as citizens of the kingdom of heaven and as good soldiers of Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you for this wonderful letter that we have been exploring. Help us all, again, translate its words into action actively in our lives. As Paul says, stand firm in the evil day, and these are evil days. But we rejoice in that we see, we hear of the gospel of Christ spreading throughout this world in spite of its problems like a prairie fire. And many thousands of people are coming to salvation. That's what history is really all about. Help us to keep that perspective, that big picture that you have graciously given to us here in sacred scripture. And fight the good fight. Thank you for being merciful. Thank you for making us part of your plan. Thank you for having the patience with us that we do not deserve. Thank you for hearing our fumbling attempts at prayer. And thank you for our humble attempts here to spread your word to people throughout our world who need to hear. Open eyes, open ears to see and hear. Let everything that is said and done in the exposition of your word be pleasing to you, O Lord our God, our one and only rock and redeemer. You who are truly our only hope, but you who are more than hope enough for one and for all. In the holy name of Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please, for the reading of the word of the Lord? I thought we may be able to cover several verses this morning, but as I began to work upon verse 16, we're going to remain in verse 16 today. The famed shield of faith. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. In one of the, obviously, the greatest passages in the New Testament, the armor of God. Paul writes in verse 16, In addition to all taking up the shield of faith with which 
you will be able to extinguish all of the flaming missiles of the evil one. These are the words of the Lord, and thanks be to God for them. Thank you, folks. You may, may be seated. Ah, there we are. I apologize to everyone who's watching and listening out there on our screen here this morning. We have a visual. Um, I wish you could see it. I apologize that we're not able to show it to you as to the folks who are here in present. But if you want to look this up on your own, if you have access to a library, uh, to history, uh, uh, certain histories of the ancient world, the Roman Empire, if you can get online and look up the arms and equipment of a first century Roman soldier, I have here as a, as a visual, um, this is the Thoreos or the Scutum. I'll explain it to you a little later, of course. That was the standard shield of the Roman legionary and with some Roman auxiliary units in the Roman military of the first century AD of Paul's generation. And by the way, Paul uses the exact word for that exact type of shield in the verse that we are going to unpack this morning. So that is the shield that he is drawing from, that he has in mind. The physical shield of a Roman soldier in his metaphor for the Christian warrior to use the shield of faith in spiritual warfare. So today we continue to unpack this metaphor, one of Paul's favorite metaphors for the Christian life. The Christian is soldier in this world. This life, as the New Testament tells us, is half pilgrimage, half battleground. The halcyon days come hereafter in the eternal kingdom. And we've been for, what, a week or so more or more, We've been examining each individual piece of equipment and armor that the Apostle writes is required for the Christian soldier to successfully fight spiritual war in this world, in this life, this side of eternity. So today in verse 16, we come to the ever-famous shield of faith. Faith which defends and protects the Christian warrior in spiritual warfare, obviously. The pieces of equipment that we have yet to go today, next week, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, and a defensive and offensive weapon, the sword of the Spirit. Very important truths, obviously, by way of a very vivid and powerful metaphor, probably one of the most vivid and powerful metaphors in all of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. So, let me read this verse to you this way. I know some of you folks have uh, several different translations. You can translate from the original Greek and still be quite accurate by translating as follows. In addition to all, or in all situations or in all circumstances, taking up the shield of faith by which you will be able to quench or extinguish all of the flaming missiles or arrows, attacks of the evil one. So now the fourth piece of equipment for the Christian soldier, obviously, that Paul teaches is made up of faith. We'll deal with the metaphor, but what the, meta the reality that the metaphor is teaching. Faith is the shield. Faith is the shield that defends and protects. So first of all, a word about faith. What does he mean by faith? Um, most often the word in New Testament Greek that you will find the, the New Testament authors using for faith is a funny little word to English speakers, pistis. P-I-S-T-I-S, -I -I pistis. Faith, uh, trust, the confidence, you could arguably translate it as. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the hands of the apostles, 
this word is not something that's general or vague at all. It becomes something that is very concrete, obviously very real, that's very important, and it's very personal. When, they, when the biblical authors say faith in God, faith in Christ, it, it's so wonderful. I've, sometimes I get tongue-tied trying to describe it to you adequately. It is very, very personal. They mean a faith, a trust, a confidence, an assurance in someone personally. A personal individual. That's what they mean by faith. You are to have absolute faith, absolute trust, absolute confidence, personally, one-on-one, in God, in the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. There is nothing vague about it at all. And we're not talking about hope. Oh, I hope this or that may or may not happen. No. You have faith. You have trust. You have confidence in God, in Christ, in His person, in His power, in His character, in His integrity. That you can have absolute trust and faith and confidence in Him. Does that make sense? It's very real. And it is very, very personal. That's what the New Testament author means by faith. There is nothing general or fuzzy or vague about it at all. And that's what faith is to be to a believer. A very real shield to protect you. Isn't that interesting? Faith or trust or confidence in someone else will serve as a shield for self-defense to protect you and to defend you. Let's unpack that a little bit. Faith, trust, confidence in what? Yes, him personally. His character, his integrity, his personality, his power, his ability, his faithfulness, his plan. Do we trust his plan? The big picture that Paul gives us in this book. Do we trust His faithfulness to us and to His people, His church, His bride? Do we trust His assurances and His promises that He gives us here in the Word? That's part of the shield. That's part and parcel of the shield. Trust in our salvation. Is it real? Is it permanent? Is it lasting? Is it really going to come through for us? Do we trust our identity in Christ, who you really are now, a new creation, no longer part of this world as it is now? but a new world, a new kingdom altogether. And in our place in His plan, our place in His kingdom, the big picture that's given to us in Scripture. All this has been given to us by, obviously, a very, very... He's painting a very strong word picture here. The image of an ancient soldier. And in this case, the image of an ancient soldier's shield. Obviously, a foundational and all-important piece of equipment if you're going to stay alive and unmaimed on the battlefield. It works powerfully within the soldier metaphor, obviously, because Paul, in almost the same breath, depicts the enemy, Satan himself, interestingly enough. We have a whole army of demonic beings that we fight against, but he mentions the evil one himself, their commander-in-chief himself again. He depicts Satan as the enemy who we wage war against, as shooting fiery arrows, missiles, obviously extremely dangerous at us, a vivid representation of how lethal this war can be. Just because it's spiritual doesn't mean you can't be hurt. Oh, yes, you can. You can be destroyed in this. Just like a physical soldier on a physical battlefield. The lethal missiles of the enemy's attacks against or upon Christian believers. Look around you in this country and the world at large. It's 
as many examples as you could wish for. Now, there's been something of a debate amongst, uh, amongst New Testament Greek scholars as, as how do we most accurately translate the opening of this verse? And there's something of a growing consensus that it probably should be translated into English as, in all circumstances or in all situations, take up this shield. I think that's pretty interesting. In all, panta, all or everything in the Greek, in every situation, in every circumstance that you face, that you encounter during the day, you're to be armored up and you are to have that shield. Now you may think, oh, there's lots of situations and circumstances in which I'm not involved in warfare. Well, that's not what the man is saying here. In all circumstances and in all situations, you are to take up and bear this shield of faith, personal faith, trust, and confidence in Christ. That means absolutely every day that you live, everywhere that you go, everything that you do in front of everybody that you're with, have it there. Taking it up. He uses a strong word for taking it up. I'll get to that in a moment. Isn't that interesting? He's saying, soldier, you get up first thing in the morning and you armor up. And you have that shield and you have that sword of the Spirit strapped on your side and ready to go. Ready for the fight. Something of a minute man, as we would say in America. All circumstances, all situations. Great importance placed on faith. He could have said anything. Isn't that interesting? How many things could we come up with that, for a metaphor for a shield? Of all things, he says faith. One of the most foundational pieces of equipment an ancient soldier could possibly have to keep himself from being killed or injured, or maimed. When he says taking up, it's analebontes in the Greek, very active word. It means to grasp, to seize, to latch on to. It's a very, very strong, very active word. This whole metaphor is very active and very strong. Once again, Christian life is always active. It is never passive. Oh my, how passive are we here in America. And this New Testament tells us nowhere Nowhere where the Christian life is passive. It is always active. And how about this metaphor? An active soldier on active duty. Right. To arms, the man is saying again. Emergency language. Seize that shield. Grasp that shield. Have it in your hand. Up and at them. Defend yourself. Fight with that shield. Stand firm. All very strong. Active language for the spiritual fight. So the command, take up, seize, grasp onto the shield of faith. You could probably better yet translate it as the shield which is faith. Faith itself is the shield. Here's where he comes into a very specific word for a very specific shield. In Greek, the word is thoreos. And in Latin, the Romans called the Roman legionary shield a scotum. So it was referred to in Koine Greek as a thoreos or scotum in the Latin. And he uses that very specific word for that very specific shield to help the Ephesian Christians with this metaphor. And if we do a little bit of historical research, he can help us with the metaphor. By the way, if you're interested, I believe, well, there's numerous pictures of these uh, depicted in, in historical military art that are quite accurate. But if you actually want to see a real one, an original one, I believe you can go to populararchaeology.com because 
a really wonderful find that has excited archaeologists. And they have found one of these pretty much intact. And it is in a museum now being studied where you can see it. Very interesting. Let me describe the Thoreos for you. He wants to make this metaphor as real and gritty as he can. A Thoreos comes from the word Thura. And Thura means door. Now look at that shield. So the Thoreos is a door-like shield, or a shield shaped like a door. It was extremely popular with armies in the first century AD. Most of all, it was extremely popular with the famed Roman legions, the most invincible army on the battlefield of the ancient world, one of the most effective armies to ever march in history. Okay? And the Romans, as I told you before, called this shield a scutum, and it was extremely effective. The Roman historian Polybius nicknamed it the barn door, or barn door shield. Probably that's where Thoreus comes from. And we believe that Polybius is just quoting uh, the nickname that Roman soldiers gave for their shield, a barn door. Hence its shape. It's shaped something like, something like a door. That was probably its nickname. So, uh, again, how, how basic, how fundamental can you get by way of self-defense than a shield? Here's one of the most important points of this metaphor. That was very, very effective in protecting Roman troops. That made them well-nigh invincible on the ancient battlefield. This is how they were able to conquer the known world and build one of the world's greatest empires. So Paul is saying, that's how fundamental and foundational that shield is to protect those men and fight their war. He's saying, Christian brother and sister, this is how basic and foundational and fundamental faith is for your defense on the battlefield. And how fundamental and important that shield is to protect you on the spiritual battlefield in this world in advancing the kingdom of Christ, not the Roman Empire. That's how important and foundational it is. Now, back to our metaphor. The shield that Paul is describing, you probably can't tell there, but it was somewhat convex. It was curved. It actually curved around the soldier, giving him even more protection and enabling him to lock shields with the man to his right and to his left and even over their head to form a very strong defensive position, one I'll describe to you in a minute. The shield was, how's this for protection? It's about two and a half feet wide. And it was upwards of four feet tall. So it could protect the man from his shins, obviously up to his head. Now, some historians believe that your average Roman soldier was about, he was only about five foot five to about five foot ten. But they were built like bulldogs. Because these men campaigned carrying about 60, 70 pounds or more in their pack and expected to do hard labor at the end of the march and to fight. And this shield helped to condition them. Two and a half feet wide, about four feet tall. It's large, it's heavy. It's basically made of wood, very stout wood, covered with canvas, but most of the time leather. And it's reinforced with iron bands, as you can see along the edges. And sometimes there was an iron band through the center or one or more places in the shield to reinforce it to make it stronger. Also, as you can see, there was a metal boss to strengthen it, a metallic boss placed in the center 
which could also be used as a weapon to push and to shove and to hammer your enemy. Interesting, that thing is not only a, we- a article of defense, it's also a weapon in which these men used it def- uh, offensively as well. And the Roman legions, as you can see, as you folks out there look them up, they were highly decorated. They painted them in very bright, garish colors. Sometimes they put slogans on them in Latin or uh, sometimes animal warlike images that were popular with the pagan world. Each legion's uh, shield would be painted somewhat distinctively one from the other. And the tactics that the Romans employed with these shields, again, made them very effective. Well, nigh invincible on the battlefield. You folks may have heard of the testudo. That is only one tactic. Testudo means tortoise. And uh, for you Christian film goers, a few years ago, you may recall a a Christian film entitled Risen. It was about the resurrection of of Jesus and about the apostles right after the resurrection of Christ in Palestine at that time. Well, one of the lead characters of the film is a Roman tribune, a Roman officer attached to Governor Pilate. And there is a battle scene early in the film where some of the Roman troops in Palestine have to go out to the Judean hills and take on some of these Jewish revolutionaries. Well, these men formed the testudo with these shields to take this position. And the entire position, obviously every man to the outside would lock shields. The men in the inner ranks would put the shields up and interlock them over their heads, creating a tortoise shell, a giant turtle shell, which was said to be well nigh invincible, especially in siege warfare. The Roman historians say a man on horseback could ride across the testudo. And with strong veteran troops, that formation would not break. That's how invincible they were. That's how invincible you and I should be. That's what Paul's demanding, are we? If you have the shield of faith, and you are trained with it as you should be, a veteran with it as we should be, working together with it as we should be, then we Christian soldiers with our shield of faith should be just as invincible as Roman legions physically were in the first century AD. Yes, this is important. This is very, very important. And one of the reasons I wonder why the country that we are now in is in the shape that it's in is because we have not been successfully engaged in spiritual warfare as we should have been all along. All along. The shield was used both for defense and as a weapon. You could you, look at that thing, especially that metal boss in the center of it. You can push, you can shove, you can strike with it. And they did all of the time, which has caused Christian theologians for the past 2,000 years to ask this question. Paul's very vivid about that very specific shield as part of his metaphor. Is Paul saying that faith is to be employed not only as a defense, but as a weapon against our spiritual enemies. Take up that shield of faith and push back with it against our spiritual enemies to advance the kingdom of Christ. I hope I've gotten through to you these past several weeks. Most people think of this metaphor as purely defensive. It is not. It is also offensive. We are not only to hold the line, we are to attack. We are to advance the king and his kingdom and the agenda of his kingdom in this world. 
I should also mention to you that in the Old Testament, remember the symbol of the military shield in the Old Testament, used over and over and over. The military shield in the Old Testament was often used as a metaphor to describe God's power and God's protection over his people. So Paul probably has this in mind as well. Just one example out of many. Recall the calling of Abraham. God calling the patriarch Abraham, the father of the Jewish race. Genesis 15.1, the words of the Lord. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield to defend and to protect you. Often the Lord is described as being a shield for all who take their refuge in Him. 2 Samuel 22, Psalm 18, Deuteronomy 33, and numerous other references in the Psalms. Some of those Psalms we studied when we went through the book of Psalms not long ago in Bible study. And so the Lord still is a shield and a refuge to His people. But it's interesting, Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, is shifting the metaphor a bit. Paul here in this metaphor states that personal faith, personal trust in God is the shield, is a shield. The true spiritual defense, the true spiritual weapon that Paul is describing is faith. The shield which is faith, faith in God, faith in Christ. This, interestingly enough, is the only time in the Bible, the only time anywhere in the Bible, that faith is associated with a shield, a defense and a refuge. Before, in the Old Testament, God himself was the shield. Now, Paul is saying here, faith, trust in God, personal one-on-one -on -one faith and trust in God, is the shield. Again, it's important. Paul means personal trust and confidence that you must have in our Savior, in our God, everything about Him and His plan. And we should recall that, well, I hope you recall, as we've been studying this letter, Paul has spoken of, again, the active exercise of personal faith in God and in the Lord Jesus Christ repeatedly through this letter. Look back on your notes. Chapter 1, verse 13, 15, 19. Chapter 2, verse 8. Chapter 3, verse 12. Chapter 6, verse 23. He's saying faith is a divine strengthener. You want divine strength? It's faith. You will receive divine strength to help you fight the battles of life. By way of faith. Faith is a method. Faith is the means. Faith is the shield. Take it up. Fight with it. Faith is divine strength for the believer, for protection, for defense in this fight, in spiritual combat. Dr. Arnold, in his commentary I've been enjoying, writes, In Ephesians, Paul explains faith as the very medium, the very means, by which you gain divine empowerment and experience a greater measure of the exalted presence of Christ in your life, in your everyday life, end quote. So this imagery, the word picture that he's painting, you have to understand in the first century A.D., with the first people who first received this letter, the Ephesian Christians, obviously this, was a, this would have resonated quite deeply with these folk. They would have appreciated the metaphor immediately, the Ephesian Christians. They would have, how familiar would they have been? with Roman soldiers, their battles, their exploits, their campaigns, etc. So now as for faith in God, I quote Arnold again, the Apostle Paul's stress on faith in God as a shield to protect and defend would speak, and this is interesting what he says, it would speak convictingly to the Ephesian Christians. For they were people, you must remember, who had been converted from a background in folk magic practices and pagan religion. In contrast to magic, 
the power of Paul's God, the one true living God, the only true living God. He is where you receive divine protection and divine empowerment. Not by performing rituals, not by chanting, not by conjuring spirits or magical spells or potions or charms and names, end quote. So you see, here's where Americans in our generation are going to have a hard time with this. Do you see how tough and gritty and down and dirty, dare I use that word, that Paul wants us to be as Christian soldiers? He is using really vivid, graphic, tough, veteran, soldier, gritty language and imagery here. That's what the Apostle says the Christian life is in this world to an appreciable degree. Pardon me for using slang expressions, but it is not a bed of roses. It is not a bowl of cherries. It is not warm and fuzzy. And it is not the entertainment gospel. It is not the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. And it is not the fake American Christianity of moralistic, therapeutic deism. It is a real war. A very real war. The apostle over two millennia of time from his place in eternity wants you and I to be very tough, gritty, veteran, and effective soldiers on the spiritual battlefield front. As tough and gritty and effective in spiritual warfare as the Roman legionaries were in their physical wars in the first century A.D. And this is coming from Paul. Little old Paul. As tough and gritty and veteran a soldier of Jesus Christ as anyone could possibly imagine or wish for or ask for. Now according to the aspired apostle, here specifically the shield which is faith is to protect us from what? What's it all about? He tells you to quench or extinguish all of the flaming arrows or missiles or darts you can translate as the evil one. So again, Paul paints a pretty scary word picture now, doesn't he? Pretty scary metaphor from the warfare of his generation. Armies often used fire arrows in battle. Armies in antiquity did this all of the time. And not only in siege warfare against formations of soldiers on an open battlefield. Fire arrows were all the rage in the first century AD and in many other centuries throughout world history. In fact, the Romans, this is interesting. This helps you to understand the metaphor where he's coming from. The Roman legionary with his thoreos, with his scotum, would often soak the leather-covered shield in water. Why? To extinguish or quench the fiery arrows that they would face in battle. Putting it together? And so, according to Paul, this shield of faith is to quench or extinguish the fiery arrows of our spiritual enemies. Just as those men were to have their shield prepared to quench a fire arrow, you and I are to have the shield of faith prepared to quench the fiery arrows and missiles of the evil one. Dr. S. M. Bow in his commentary writes, In its struggle against evil, then, the Christian church needs the supernatural power of God, in this case a shield which is faith in God, through which the church, the members of the church, will be able, notice what Paul says, extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. Not a few of them, not just some of them, all of them. And not just 
turn these blazing threats aside, he writes, but quench them or snuff them out altogether. End quote. So now, this image that Paul is using to obviously w- w- convey the danger, the seriousness of these attacks. A fire arrow can and will kill you or cause you very serious bodily harm. And it's odd, uh, I found in my studies this week, nowhere else does the Bible, Old or New Testament, use arrows as a metaphor for satanic or demonic attacks. However, this does appear in Jewish culture. Ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? The famed Dead Sea Scrolls? Where there are numerous times in the writings contained in the Dead Sea Scrolls where Jewish theologians refer to satanic or demonic attacks as arrows of the pit or arrows from the pit. And so Paul is using that language here. So now Paul tells us that Satan's attacks, his flaming arrows, can be quenched, extinguish all of them. Just like the physical material fire arrows could and were quenched by the shield of a Roman soldier. Now these arrows of Satan are to be quenched by faith in God, faith in Christ. They can and should be quenched by the Christian soldier being properly repaired and equipped, the armor of God, remember. So again, Paul says, now notice, it's, it's interesting. For some reason, he focuses on Satan himself. Now, I dare say we are attacked by his minions, if I may use this type of militaristic language with the metaphor. We're attacked by his troops. How many times have we ever come up against the evil one himself? Well, some of us maybe never, thank God. But we all come up against evil spirits. But it's interesting, Paul mentions the evil one, Satan himself here. But he reminds us, spiritual enemies are always the worst ones. They're the ultimate ones. We have a lot of physical enemies in this world today. I don't know if you've noticed if you're a Christian. Behind them all is a spiritual enemy. Inspiring them all is a spiritual enemy. Motivating them all is a spiritual enemy. The spiritual enemies are always the worst ones, the ultimate ones in, in the end. The real fight, the ultimate fight, is spiritual, against spiritual forces. And so a person should ask, what does he mean by these fire arrows? What are they? I know this is a metaphor, but what, what does he mean? Folks, I think you can be very generous in interpreting what these fire arrows and fire missiles are. Really. I think he means absolutely any and all attack from evil spirits, from demonic forces upon Christians. Now think of it. Temptation. Temptation of all kinds, every kind. Persecution of any and all kinds. Difficulties that are meant to drag you away from your relationship with Christ, wear you down. Hardships, difficulties, any evil situation or circumstance arranged to harm you, harm your soul, harm your mind, harm your heart, thwart your work for Christ in this world, turn you away from God, His plan, His purposes, His people, attempts to pit you against other true Christians, attempts to isolate you from other true Christians, estrange us from the Lord and fellow believers. And you can go on and on and on. They're all fiery darts. They're all fiery arrows. But by faith, 
Paul says you can and should be able to defeat absolutely every single one of them. Snuff it out altogether. Now let me help you to understand this or apply this metaphor a little more. We should always remember our brothers and sisters two millennia ago who first received this letter. I think that is important. So a word about the Ephesians who first received this letter. This is very interesting. One of the ways that the Ephesian Christians would experience terrible spiritual attack in Ephesus would be by way of paganism, the occult. How many people who we have prayed for in this book do you think encounter paganism and the occult on a daily basis? We encounter it here in America on a daily basis if you care to keep your eyes and ears open. They would have been plagued or harassed by paganism, the occult. It was very, very popular in Ephesus at the time this letter was written. They had a bad reputation, even amongst the Roman Empire for this. And the largest pagan cult there, as I've told you before, was the cult of the goddess Diana, or Artemis. And you recall from the book of Acts. Diana, or Artemis, uh, she was considered, amongst other things, to be the goddess of the hunt. And her preferred weapon was the bow and the arrow. Sound familiar? She is often depicted in statues and ancient art, uh, in pictorial images and uh, idols. She was often depicted as having a drawn bow and arrow. The members of her cult would threaten you or would challenge you that if you did not bow to her or adhere to her or obey her, she would strike with her arrows, even arrows of fire. Sound familiar? Paul is saying to our brothers and sisters when this letter was first written, and to Christians throughout the past 2,000 years, you do not have to fear Artemis. You do not have to fear Diana. You do not have to fear any dark occult power or threat that comes against you if you are armored in the armor of God and if you are seizing onto, grasping onto, fighting with the shield of faith. True personal faith in the one true living God, God the Son in particular, the Savior Christ. The true God will protect you against any and all attacks from hostile spiritual forces or enemies. The shield which is faith in the one truly omnipotent or all-powerful God, spiritual being. It's more than a match. More than enough to deal with flaming darts from spirits behind Artemis and her cult or any other pagan cult or power. This is interesting for us. Early church theologians, such as Origen and Jerome, and there were others, these men often thought that these fire arrows of the evil one were also attempts of demonic spirits to place or to interject evil thoughts into the minds of believers. And I think that probably is correct. To a degree, that is true. Do you find yourself fighting thoughts coming into your head which are just plain wrong or immoral or wicked? Take up that shield of faith and you can snuff them out. Nip them in the bud. Talk to the Lord about it. Have Him help you with it. If you're serious about it, He will. And the shield of faith will extinguish these things. Remember, I've told you so many times too, the Bible tells us much of the battlefield is in the mind. Remember what Paul says, Romans 12, 2, 
Be renewed every day that you live in the spirit of your mind. What takes place in here will translate itself into action in your life. Faith is to defeat them all. Mental, physical, spiritual. Or the spiritual will translate itself into the physical. So Paul, no doubt, is speaking of defending against extreme danger. Folks don't think that this is just annoyance. This is mild harassment. The man is also speaking about extreme danger. Faith can defeat it all. Paul calls Satan the evil one. Remember, Jesus himself called Satan the evil one. Jesus instructs us in the prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer to pray for protection from who? The evil one. In the Greek, it's not just defend us from evil. It's defend us from the evil one himself. Jesus prayed to God the Father the very night before he was crucified in our behalf. It's recorded in John 17, 5. He prayed for the Father to protect his disciples, protect his followers, protect his people from the evil one. That's precisely what the shield of faith is intended to do. That is precisely what the shield of faith does if it is grasped and used faithfully and effectively. All Christian believers should be encouraged to hear that the shield of faith, the shield which is faith, will defend and protect you against all, not some, all fiery arrows of the enemy, whatever they may be. Jesus said, after all, Matthew 17, 20, if we have true faith the size of a little mustard seed, we can move mountains. Certainly, if you have that mustard seed faith, you can fight with it as a shield to defend and protect yourself in the kingdom in this world. Faith in God, faith in Christ, faith in the truth of His Word is to drive away demonic spirits and repel demonic attacks. Last word of the day I'll give to Dr. S.M. Bao. A couple of times I've given you, he has a really great section in the end of uh, large uh, chapters of his commentary in which he calls it application and devotional implications. He helps you to work this out. He writes, Obviously, according to Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, Christianity is not a stroll through the park or a mall. It is a grim fight. A very real, grim fight. A contest against supernatural enemies. Because we cannot stand on our own against these superhuman powers, we must rely on the strength of the Lord's own might, which He supplies. This divine strength is represented in this complete panoply of armor of God from head to foot. Consists of belt, breastplate, shoes, shield, helmet, sword... These are metaphors for the spiritual resources given to us in Christ, namely truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, and the very word of God itself. Our connection with this armor is a vibrant trust in Christ based on the truth of his gospel. And it is, as Paul would write, the mystery of the gospel now being revealed and its truth boldly disclosed in the word of God alone that forms the ground on which we can hold our own in this grim struggle. Any other truth people may set their hopes in. This needs to be heard as well. Any other truth people may set their hopes in. 
As theologian Charles Hodge eloquently wrote, is nothing but a breastplate of spider webs. It will get you killed. Charles Hodge wrote in his commentary, well over a hundred years ago, I believe, Let not anyone imagine that he is prepared to withstand the assaults of the powers of darkness if his mind is stored with his own theories or with the vain speculations, whate'er they may be, of other people. Nothing but the truth of God, clearly understood and cordially embraced, will enable him to keep his feet for a moment before these spiritual enemies. Reason, tradition, speculations are all but a breastplate of spider webs. They will give way at the first onset of mortal combat. Truth alone, God's truth alone, abiding in the mind in the form of divine knowledge, can and will give strength and confidence in all of the ordinary conflicts of the Christian life. Those conflicts which Paul refers to as standing firm in the evil day. And I don't know if you folks have noticed, but the days are very, very evil. Armor up, Christian soldier. Get into the trenches and get into the fight. Next week, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of your word. We pray that it will go out and that many of our brothers and sisters, even the world abroad, will hear this message, hear this teaching, apply these strong words of our elder brother, the apostle, into action in their life. May all of us do so faithfully and wisely and well in these evil days, important days, to advance the kingdom of Jesus, which is advancing through this world in spite of all hostile opposition. Help us to do our part. Truly be responsible and do our part as hard-fighting soldiers to advance the kingdom of Jesus in this world so that we can hear as well the most beautiful words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. May all of us be able to hear those words on the day of days. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen.